Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From pitch side to print to the press box above Providence Park. It's Jamie Goldberg from the Oregonian and Richard Farley from the Portland Timbers and Thorns. This is Soccer Made in Portland. On the scene, all the time. Welcome everyone to Soccer Made in Portland. Uh, It's been a very quiet weekend, which... uh, I think we've talked about, or I've talked at least about my hatred of how the MLS schedule, uh, playoff schedule is like this, Um, but we are back (laughs) anyways. You know what I realized while editing the last show? We have gone away from introducing ourselves, which I'm fine with because anybody who's tuning into the show knows well, we who we like are. like that little intro thing now. So yeah. We basically have ourselves introduced. And I remember when we first got that intro, I kept saying to you, we don't <laughs> have to introduce ourselves. But I don't think we actually introduced Jake Zivin last week either. No, we're, that's what we, we definitely need to get better at that. We are really bad at telling our podcast listeners at the beginning mm-hmm. who's actually going to be on the show. Yeah. Uh, so that's something we should do a bit better at. Today, it's just me and Richard. <laughs> it, it does tie in, though, to the you and I were having a brief conversation about whether to get a guest for this week. And because we moved our recording day up one day, it wasn't really practical for us to get a guest. But I always think to myself, who is tuning into all of these weekly MLS podcasts that usually every team has one or two in their fan culture? Who's tuning into those for guests? And the guests that are on those shows tend to be the same people that are on every show. Like every once in a while, like a Taylor Twelman will pop up on one of those. Or we've had people on the show like Paul Tenorio and Sam McDowell throughout the years. It's like, are those even, do those even feel special to people anymore? When I'm listening to a podcast like this, I'm listening to it for the two hosts. So for better or worse, that's what our listeners are getting this week. Yeah, I think if we could, whenever we get the Timbers specific people on there seems to be you know an added level of interest but i, I, I agree i know that you're, you're making you're making it sound like we're really good we're offering a lot so well, uh, i won't go as far <laughs> as to say we offer more than the players although we can have another conversation there because let's be realistic the players oftentimes aren't saying interesting things so it is sometimes just nice to know that they don't say interesting things though for people that don't have to talk to them every day speaking of saying interesting things i think pork chop is trying to tell us something here yeah yes my dog uh wants to play so we'll see how this goes through this podcast. And me being the troll that I am, I'm trying to get as much anxiety out of Jamie by getting Pork Chop to be as loud as possible <laughs> right now. So welcome to this show. This is what we do when we have too much downtime on our hands. We try to fill the air with why we don't have guests and how loud Jamie's dog can be. 
Well, let's get to some soccer made in Portland or, uh, well, it is, it is going to be made in Portland this week since there's no traveling except for the players, of course, on international duty. The Timbers will play Kansas City in the Western Conference Championship Series first leg um, on this Sunday, uh, November 25th. It's at Providence Park. The game is at 4.30 p.m. We touched on this a little bit last week, but I think we were mostly, uh, you know, caught up in the excitement of the Timbers Western Conference semifinal win over Seattle. Uh, so I think this is a good opportunity to get a little bit more in depth uh, on this matchup, uh, Timbers versus Kansas City. Um, I, I think let's just start with a, one thing that has been a question I've been getting a lot on Twitter is sort of about the yellow card situation, the suspensions, how it works in this leg. Um, as I, I think we've talked about the the yellow cards will reset before MLS Cup, but they have not reset yet. So anyone who gets a suspension after this first game, a second yellow card, would be suspended for the second leg. Um, Richard, do you want to review where we're at with those? Sure. So we have one suspended player, and good thing, Timbers fans, it is not an actual Timber. Uh, the starting number nine for Sporting Kansas City, Diego Rubio, somebody who scored in the second meeting between these teams this year, picked up his second yellow card in the second game versus RSL. So he will be out. Uh, Kyrie Shelton, I expect, will come into his spot. But there are a number of players that are carrying one yellow card into this match, and this is where it doesn't get to be such good news for Portland fans. Uh, Roger Espinosa perpetually carrying yellow cards with him has a yellow card for Kansas City, but so does Diego Chiraz. Everybody remembers him picking up that very uh, dubious yellow card in the FC Dallas knockout round. Andres Flores also has a yellow card. And then very importantly, as in important as Diego Chara, Liam Ridgewell, and then Diego Valeri as he protested the handball against Sebastian Blanco in the second game in Seattle. He is also carrying a yellow card. So any booking for any four of those players, or five if you want to count Espinoza, means they will miss the second leg on Thursday in Kansas City. Chara has said that, you know, it doesn't really change the way he plays, uh, that he's playing on a yellow card. Um, but do you think it does for some of these players, even if you're not saying it out loud? Well, when, do you when think you're... it does for Diego Chara? <laughs> I mean, I know he has to be more careful, but he, you know, he is a type of player that he's not really himself if he can't go in for challenges. Uh, so I, I think it's a fine line there. Um, mm-hmm. He's saying it doesn't. It, it probably makes him be a little bit more cautious. But if he just stops going in for those types of challenges, he, he just can't be the same sort of force in the midfield for the Timbers. I mean, I think it absolutely does for Liam Ridgewell because you just look at how he got his first yellow card. People don't remember. I think it was around the 10-minute mark in Dallas where basically he took out Maxi Arruti, and he was willing to pay for that yellow card just to send a message to Arruti. I mean, Arruti was everywhere over those first 10 minutes, and then after that, he wasn't really a factor. Liam Ridgewell with a very well-placed knee into Maxi Arruti's thigh. Obviously, he's not going to do that again, yeah. so maybe that's just too obvious of an example. For me, I do think it changes how uh, Diego Chara plays. I just think that he's... Very good at hiding those changes. I think that we've seen so many times through the years where he's willing to take a yellow card in the middle of the game just to slow a counterattack or send a message or just for various reasons. And I think there are a number of times in that second leg versus Seattle where he could have elected to take one of those cards and he didn't. And obviously that ended up being a good choice. But uh, I think Diego Chara absolutely knows how to shift gears. So with going into, it's kind of not on our notes, but I'm going to say it anyways, but uh, with going in and playing Kansas City, it's been interesting sort of seeing on MLS Soccer how the they've been 
doing the matchups. Who has the better forwards? Who has the better midfields? Who has the better Ooh. defense? Are they doing it for both uh, the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference? You know, I'm so focused on the Western Conference. Okay, I haven't Tell me what noticed. they said, because I haven't seen any of this. <laughs> well, they said, I think the consensus essentially was that the Kansas City has the better forwards. Um, and then it, it mm. seemed to be leaning towards the Timbers having the better midfield, but maybe Kansas City having... Timbers having the maybe the best players on the field of the of the two teams and those players being in the midfield, but Kansas City might maybe being a little bit deeper overall. I think that was a consensus on MajorLeagueSoccer.com, hmm. league website, whatever you'll take from that. I didn't see uh, what they said about the defense, but I, I did want to throw that out now. Interesting. In terms of this matchup, um, in terms of sort of player to player, I, I, how do you feel like, um, we maybe you don't have to go into all 11 players, but how do you feel like these teams sort of match up? I do think at the high end, when you're looking at the star talent of these teams, there's really one player for Kansas City that I look at and say, wow, almost any team can use him, and that's Felipe Gutierrez. Um, Just a great all-around midfielder, has come up with huge goals when needed, has put in good defensive performances when it's needed. Whereas I think most teams in the league can use a Blanco, a Valeri, a Chara. I think most teams will find a way to use those guys. I just don't think that depth of star power is there for Kansas City. Now, maybe you can look at a Matt Beasler and and Eichel Parr and say the same thing. But I think the fact that Liam Ridgewell and Larry Smabiala have raised their level of play to equal, if not better, theirs, I would say that Liam Ridgewell and Larry Smabiala have actually been better than those two in the playoffs, given how much trouble Kansas City had against Real Salt Lake. I think that shows you that there isn't that much of a gap between Beasler and Opara for everything that they've accomplished and other good central defensive pairs. I think the only other place where I think people would look at these teams and wonder if there's a gap between the sides is Tim Melia versus Jeff Atanella, because Tim Melia in goal has the reputation and the former goalkeeper of the year awards. But I also think the fullback positions, even though Graham Zussi has the U.S. soccer pedigree and the resume from all of those uh, appearances there, um, I think Porchok agrees with me (laughs) that uh, I would rather have the Timbers fullbacks than I would Kansas City's. I think for me, I, I did sort of buy you know the argument on MLSsoc.com more about the forward position um, because I, I think Jeremy Abobasi has done really well, but I just don't think he's at the point where he's proven himself in, in enough games at this point. Um, he obviously did well in the first two games of the playoffs and, and has had a good stretch, um, but Kansas City has some players on their attacking line who have been consistent for them all year, and, and so it'll be interesting to see in terms of production, at least coming from f- the forward uh, forward line, how it mm. kind of turns out. I don't know that it matters for the Timbers since they mostly get their goals from the midfield anyways. Okay, I would... If I had to write things objectively, definitely say, hey, Kansas City has an edge here. But one, I think that it's probably a superficial edge. Two, I think it's a little bit distorted by the fact that Kansas City plays with basically three forwards and Portland plays with one. But three, I mean, going into these games, as good as Johnny Russell is or Diego Rubio is, are they really that much better than Jeremy Obobese? I don't know. I think, I mean, I think part of it is we're not really sure yet because I just don't think Jeremy Bobasi has had the string of games to really prove just how good he is, especially in this sort of environment in a big playoff game in the Western Conference Championship Series. I I think he's done really well and he's absolutely earned that spot, but I still think he's at the point where he's sort of proving himself right now. Yeah. I think maybe we are evaluating Jeremy Bobasi in potentially his best light or his best current light right now so that that makes sense to me i do think that maybe that 
one area of the field is the most difficult to judge because that's where the teams are so different. Uh, Timbers play with that lone striker. Uh, you would s- kind of logically infer that means they're packing the midfield a little bit more. Not really. When you think about the midfields, it's more their three versus Portland's three and the back four is usually the back four. So it's interesting. I do think, though, in general, if you're looking at this series as if it's a one versus a five, that distorts things. If you're looking at this series as if it's one team that got four points from the other while the other one got one, I think that distorts things, too. I think Kansas City has to be considered the favorite based on all the data that we have, but I don't think anybody should be surprised if either of these teams are in MLS Cup final. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it comes down to how both teams are playing at, at this moment. And Kansas City is playing well. I, I think, you know, we talked a lot about Seattle's form at the end of the year. I believe Kansas City won nine of their final 13 games of the regular season. They're not a team that has historically done, or at least maybe maybe not historically, but in the last five years, yeah. done very well. Um, at the end of the year, they've sort of faded, and then they've lost the knockout round. Uh, I, I think from 14 through 17, they lost the knockout round every year. Um, but this year, they, like I said, won 9 of 13 to close out the regular season. They finally got that first playoff win since 2013 against RSL. They're playing well. Um but the Timbers are playing well, too. And I don't know how much momentum they're going to be able to carry from the Seattle game, especially after this long break. But these are two good teams that are playing their best soccer at the right time. And I, I think, yeah, it, Kansas City's probably the favorite, but it could go either way. Now, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about it in those terms until you just said that, playing their best soccer at the right time. After watching that Real Salt Lake series against Sporting Kansas City, I honestly don't know how well they're playing at all. And this keeps going back to like me not knowing if Salt Lake is good or not. <laughs> but honestly, in that series, I didn't see any indication that they were actually that good. And the fact that Kansas City had so much trouble with them, I mean, RSL has a lot of players that are going to be really good next year and the year after that. I mean, Jefferson Savarino is like the best example of that, but they've got players almost at all levels of the field where you're just like, wow, in two years, after they have some more experience, this is going to be a really difficult team to deal with. But in the moments that they really needed the goals, they kind of were just relying on that youthful exuberance and the Albert Ruchnacks of the world and the Savarinos, or um, he's not really young, but a Demir Krylak just kind of doing things. And if you're not organized enough to, to keep a team that's just doing things off the score sheet, how good are you? Because if you're going to go against Portland right now and just improvise out there, just, hey, let's just work for those goals. You're not scoring. We saw Seattle, who was a very organized team, very good team, continuously like broke down the Timbers' first line of defense. And then when they got to the second line of defense, they couldn't do anything. I don't, I didn't, I'm not looking at Kansas City and seeing a team that's anywhere near Seattle's level, at least in those two games. Now, the bigger body of work tells us that Kansas City is probably slightly better than Seattle. But over those eight days that they played RSL, I looked at those games and I was just like, maybe the Timbers shouldn't be considered underdogs in this series? I, I legitimately don't know. Yeah, um, maybe they shouldn't be considered as big of underdogs as they probably are. At least if you look at the MLS Cup, uh, I think the Timbers tweeted out uh, last week, 538 thinks they only have an 8% chance of winning. Mm. If you look at... Who you tweeted know, that? <laughs> Who from my organization is Kayla. trusting those numbers? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, if you if you look at sort of just on paper how Kansas City finished how New York finished how Atlanta finished versus the Timbers it makes sense Um, but where the Timbers are as a team right now and kind of like what you said before you know we can't really necessarily look at the fact that during the regular season, Kansas City beat the Timbers 3-0 and got a scoreless draw in Portland Um, so much as recognizing that 
the Timbers were a different team in both those games. They were at a completely different point, and they, I think it's, maybe you can argue it on Kansas City's side, but it's hard to deny that the Timbers are in their best form of the season right now. Which makes it so hard to figure out these teams. Kansas City, it's not so much figuring out them, but figuring out them compared to this pack of teams that things have changed for. Maybe not Atlanta so much. In fact, Atlanta is kind of the model of consistency this year. But the Red Bulls had to change their coach in midseason. And it really seemed like it took the Timbers half a season or three quarters of a season to realize what they... Maybe not what they had to be, but what they were going to be able to bet on come playoff time. And so all everybody who's listening to this podcast probably knows before the R, first RSL game, they switched formations. Or now in hindsight, maybe we can call it they settled into a formation. And they've been a different team ever since. And I think if we were going to plot the chronology of the season, everything would be building to that point. So it seems a little bit weird to look beyond that first RSL game for any information regarding this team, except for... If you only look back as far as that RSL game, it's just not enough information to yeah. go on, really. So, again, we're kind of going in circles here a little bit. Maybe we should uh, switch topic here a bit. But it's just really hard to tell, based on past results, what's going to happen in this game. Of course, the dynamics of the knockout round remain the same. Portland's going to have 90 minutes at Providence Park, go 90 minutes at Sporting Kansas City. I don't know how you feel about it, but against Seattle, I think that worked to Portland's advantage. They were able to take an edge out of Providence Park if not play the game in Seattle the way they wanted to, at least be prepared for the game, how the game was likely to be played. I think you've brought up this question on previous shows. How much of an advantage is it to have the first game at home and how much of an advantage do you think it will be in this particular matchup? Yeah, I, I think it is an advantage. I, I think just looking at how this last series played out, it really feels like going to that second game, knowing what you have to do, um, does give you an advantage. And so I think if the Timbers can get the job done at Providence Park, um, that's going to put them in a really good spot going into Kansas City. Now, if they can't, if they end up with a draw, suddenly Kansas City just has a huge advantage going to that second game, especially since it's going to be in conditions the Timbers aren't used to. It looks like it might even snow in Kansas City next week. And so... Not necessarily the day of the game. Oh. haven't seen that far in advance, but it's going to be cold one way or another. And so the Timbers are going to be dealing with some factors in that second leg. Um, but if they can put themselves in a good position Sunday, I, I think they still will, would have an advantage going in. I'm already mad about this. <laughs> so the last time I was in Kansas City to cover a game was for the cup final between them and Real Salt Lake, the one that went deep into penalty kicks. And I think at one point in that game, it got down to 15 degrees. <laughs> it was so cold that I uh, I was the number two writer at NBC at the time. I was sitting outside. Our number one guy got the place inside. But by halftime, I just went inside because it was physically too cold for me to type. So I had to go inside to actually do my work, which was a great excuse because I didn't want to sit out in <laughs> the cold for another half, extra time, and all of those penalty kicks. I think it went nine rounds of penalty kicks before uh, former Timber Lavelle Palmer put it off the crossbar. Uh, so you telling me what the temperature is likely to be two Thursdays from now. And I had already heard it earlier today. It's like, yeah, I can get down to 20 degrees that night. I don't want to go. This is why I wanted RSL to win. Not because I thought that the Timbers matched up better against RSL. They do. But honestly, I don't care that much about that. Honestly, I care a little bit for my coworkers, not so much for myself. I just wanted the Sunday game in Utah where it was more likely to be an afternoon game with better weather and then have the Thursday night game here in Portland where it's not freezing cold right now. Instead, it's the reverse, and it's going to be so <laughs> 
It's going to be Midwest frigid too. Oh my gosh, there is nothing like a Midwest cold. I'm already hating this. I'm drafting my letter of resignation. Right. Don't get your hopes up, everybody. I'm just kidding. Well, we'll get a little bit more into that second leg game next week. We will record before that game. Let's hit on a few more points about this first leg game before we move on. Uh, injury update, Guzman and Armateros were back in training, as, full training as of last week. So both of them should be available for this game. I don't know that Armenteros will play, given how things have been going. But I think having Guzman back uh, could make a big difference for the Timbers. Yeah, absolutely. I think Davi Guzman, at this point, through that run at the end of the season, has proven himself uh, enough to show that whatever reasons there were for his struggles throughout most of the year, they seem to be gone. And not only is he, uh, I would say, the second-best midfielder on the Timbers right now, I think he's a pretty vital part. I think... If he isn't at his best, maybe that could be one of the deciding factors in the series. Although I think you could probably say that for four or five players on both sides. Just like we've talked about before, the gaps between these two teams are so small. I don't know how you feel about Guzman's contributions, but the difference between a Guzman who is playing close to his peak and one that is playing like he did at the beginning of the season is definitely one of the ways this series could turn. Yeah, and I, I think um, in terms of other players coming back, uh, I mean, I think there are going to be some questions for the Timbers in, in terms of lineup decisions with the international duty as well. Uh, yeah, I, this is really interesting. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt, but go on. Andres Flores obviously is back with the team, Rusty said today, but Paredes, um, not as big of a deal. But Andy Polo will be coming back a little bit later this week. That could matter depending on minutes he sees on international duty. And I think the biggest one is Jorge Villafania. He played in the first U.S. game. We'll see what he does um, this week. Uh, we don't know yet on um, what minutes he'll see in Tuesday's U.S. game. But that could make a big difference in how many minutes he can actually see Sunday and whether the Timbers have to think about maybe going with Pal and Valentin as their fullbacks. Meaningless games under an interim coach. I mean... I'm happy that Jorge Villafaña got called back in. This is an important part of a soccer player's career. He needed to go to these games if he was getting called in. But geez, there maybe is no player that has been taxed as much as Jorge Villafaña during this playoff run. Because one, he plays one of the most taxing positions on the field. Two, he's one of the players that hasn't been substituted off hasn't been rotated out the other fullbacks have Andy Polo has he's won one of the first substitutes almost every game the only other players that aren't being subbed in and out are Diego Chara Sebastian Blanco Diego Valeri and then the central defenders I to me Jorge Villafaña is has been the most text guy tested guy and then they have to go on international duty, and he's going to get back late and it's not like international duty is down in San Diego he's flying halfway across the world and back but you have to deal with it if there's one position the Timbers can deal with it at, it's that yeah. position. They have three starting caliber players. It just kind of stinks. So I guess uh, no matter what decision Giovanni Savarese has to make at that spot, and he won't even be able to evaluate that decision until Jorge Villafaña is able to be evaluated by <laughs> the training staff, I, I wouldn't be surprised with any fullback combination that ends up starting Sunday's game. I think the thing, too, is that they don't have a full week off between legs of this conference final. No. So the decision that they make for Sunday's game has to keep Thursday in mind, too. So regarding both Polo and Viafania, I wonder what condition they're going to be back in because you have to figure it's going to be a tough choice. Yeah, I mean, we saw today that there was some news coming out that the MLS is seriously looking at this point of changing the playoffs next year for 2019. Ooh, Maybe changing the out? entire season today on The Athletic. Uh, on The Athletic? Who, who was that Paul? Did Paul Tenorio? I actually didn't look at the byline. 
Oh, okay. I well, read the, I read the story without reading the byline. It has for to once. be Paul, though, right? He's the person that does that <laughs> for that site. You know what? I'll, I'll look it up right now. But yeah, um, it's interesting. So, I mean, what did the article say? Well, the the idea is that they might look to have everything done in, in before November. That uh, before this international break in November, um, that means probably moving to single elimination in the playoffs, and also potentially having more midweek games and shortening the MLS season a little bit as well. And so, there's a lot of interesting proposals in there. I, I don't know there, what's going to ultimately happen, but I think everything we're talking about with the international break. Uh, right now and how taxing it is on a player like Viafania and how taxing it can be on other players and just this crazy long break we're having between playoff series and all the complaints I've had about that. I would just really like to see MLS make some changes next year. So the story is by Mickey or Mikey Turner, who is a Seattle-based freelancer for The Athletic. It wasn't Paul. <laughs> it wasn't Paul, but I mean, I would have bet some money on that. Um so one of the sources quoted in here says the international breaks kill the playoff momentum and drags them out too long. So as you're saying, that implies that they want to try to get as much of the playoffs done before this break, which I guess I honestly don't care that much about. I mean, I do hate it every year, but once the break is over, we get back to the playoffs yeah. and the season is over. I kind of forget about that. hate. I don't think it keeps fans away from the game at all. I think it's just kind of annoying. Uh, but I also would just like for the playoffs not to extend into the worst part of the calendar to play these games. You know, we have had for years people debating as to whether MLS should be starting their season in March or starting their season in August. And I think one, two of the arguments that I always liked for starting the season in August and finishing it in May or June is that one, your most important games aren't going against college bowl season, which is a significant thing in most parts of this country. And secondly, who wants to watch an MLS Cup final that's in 15 degree <laughs> weather? And the last two MLS Cup finals have been in Toronto and they've been generally bad games to watch. And you don't think the weather affects that at all? Because the games that were in Los Angeles, even though it rained one year in Los Angeles, they were nowhere near as bad to watch entertainment-wise. So for me, it just doesn't portray MLS's product as something people would want to watch if you have 22 frozen players just trying to survive out there. So I think this is great news if it were to happen. Yeah, I, I mean, I absolutely agree. I, I think I, I think I've just complained so much about the MLS playoffs over the last few years. It's my favorite complaint. Um, I think anything that involves them short getting shortening uh, the playoffs so you're not going into December, getting it done earlier before this international break, so you're not having that break. It is just better for the league overall, um, and I'm hoping that they can find a way to work that out. Yeah, absolutely, um, and you know if the sources are right at the athletic, then maybe next year we'll be having a completely different conversation about that. And this podcast this time next year will be about Timbers moves and who they signed and which options were picked up. Uh, speaking of the Timbers, you had an article that came out on Monday where you basically made the claim that the Timbers accomplishments over the last six years, making it to the final four of MLS's playoffs conference championships three times in the last six years are, are being a little bit uh, overshadowed. So let me ask you a question where I kind of know the answer to, but it allows you to repeat your uh, article's thesis. Do you think the Timbers get enough credit for the success that they have had over the last six years? Yeah, I, I don't think they, they get a Wait, lot of yeah, credit. Yeah, you don't? <laughs> no, I guess that I phrase that in a confusing way. I don't think they get enough credit for what they've done over the last six years. I, I, I think the fact that the Timbers have missed, play, missed playoffs in 2014 and 2016 kind of allows them to sort of have still this underdog uh, sort of uh, 
sort of could be for them to sort of be considered the underdog still. And you see it. I mean, um, MLSsoccer.com's analyst of the four people that put out their brackets, uh, only one of them thought they'd even get this far. No one thought the Timbers had a chance of winning MLS Cup. I, I think if you look at brackets from journalists across the league, you'd probably see something similar. I, I think there's very few people out there that were predicting the Timbers to even get this far, and, and even if they did, to potentially get past this round and get to MLS Cup. We talked about 538 with, with them only having 8%. I don't think the Timbers have had the consistency in the regular season, and I, I think that they, the fact that they've missed playoffs twice over the last six years has kind of contributed to that. But only three teams in MLS have reached the, the, the Western or Eastern Conference Championship three times in the last five years, and the Timbers are one of those teams. And so this team has consistently found a way to play really well at the end of the year and go on runs if they get in the playoffs. They've, I think, shown that they are a tough team uh, in the postseason that can be a contender if they can get to that point. 16 was a difficult year for the Timbers, but even in 14, had they been able to get into the playoffs, I don't know how far that team would have gone because they were playing really, really well at the end of the year. They just didn't have enough to get that final playoff spot. Uh, so I, I think the Timbers at this point, especially now, they finally have been the postseason two years in a row. They've shown that they don't go from rebuilding to contender to rebuilding to contender. They've been able to keep a little bit more of that consistency um, and, and look to have the ability to continue building off this. I, I think they need to start getting a little bit more credit for what they've done. Hmm. This is one of the things that forces me to examine who exactly I talk to because I feel like I talk to a dispro- disproportionate amount of just like soccer fans and nerds and players and within those circles, I think that the Timbers are pretty well respected with the players in particular, because when the players think of Portland, they think of the fans. They think of a team that has had players like Valeria and Chara and Nagby and Adi. And so they think the Timbers are a good team. But every time I, I'm told about what MLSsoccer.com is covering, it, it feels like their Timbers are underrepresented. And I see these people that post stuff on Twitter about how often MLS is tweeting about which teams and the Timbers are always disproportionately underrepresented compared to not only their results, but their fan base and the stories that are around the team. And do we just judge too many things by MLSsoccer.com? I don't know. This is honestly the first time I'm thinking about it, but I've just kind of taken it for granted that MLSsoccer.com just doesn't find the Timbers interesting for whatever reason. And that's fine because MLSsoccer.com can do what they want. They're just the league's website, but between your coverage, the other coverage that uh, television stations give the Timbers in the city, the Timbers have hired their own reporter to write about the team every day. Uh, I feel like there's a lot of coverage of the Timbers, particularly when I go to other markets and they don't even have dedicated beat reporters. So I wonder what a world would look like where we felt the Timbers got the attention they deserved because they're already on national TV seemingly twice a month as is. Yeah, I think it's not just MLS to come out. Dot com. I, I think they need to get the consistent respect from the national media, um, all national media. Mm-hmm. And, and I think there's been some great stories about the Timbers over the years from Sports Illustrated and ESPN, but it's one they've made sort of these deep runs. I, it's I, usually always about their fan base, too, and not the results, which, it, fair, fair play. Yeah, I mean, the Timbers have gotten plenty of credit for the fan base, and it's amazing. So that that's deserved, obviously. But uh, I, I think... Obviously, the, you, having local reporters is great, but to sort of have that respect and, and sort of shed that underdog uh, sort of uh, title 
you got to see them getting more respect on the national level on a more consistent basis and not just about their fans. Yeah, that's true. I mean, being a national person myself, I definitely feel like Seattle, the Galaxy, got a lot more love nationally. The New York teams, of course. You see the kind of love that's out there for... Uh, Atlanta, they certainly deserve that. They're still a relatively new story. But even a team like Kansas City, it seems like people always wind to bend over backwards to tell the story of what Peter Vermes has done there. And to a certain extent, it's deserved. But I don't think Gavin Wilkinson has gotten enough credit. Uh, he had three teams in playoffs this year between the Thorns, T2, and the Timbers. That's never been done before. Who told that story? Maybe I should have told that story. I kind of get paid money to do so. But (laughs) even if you had told that story, that's kind of not the point, right? The point is that there aren't other people beyond the people who are always talking about the Timbers who are talking about the Timbers. So, yeah, I think you've kind of talked me into this a bit that uh, outside of my bubble that talks about the Timbers all the time, nobody's real, not enough people are talking about the Timbers. So, Maybe the, if they win another MLS Cup, we can at least test that theory out again. Uh, but it's still going to be another, what, uh, 13 days before MLS Cup is yep. here. But by the time the Timbers take their next step towards MLS Cup, it'll be 17 games <laughs> since they have played a game. Uh, you've talked about this a lot. You've asked a lot of questions about momentum. What is your feeling about the momentum issue? A lot of players have admitted that the momentum can't be kept, but they also needed rest. Some players go as far as to say they would have wanted to play in seven days after the Seattle uh, result. What What is your feeling after asking all these people about it as to the value of momentum and whether you think it was a good trade-off to take this extra week to recover? Yeah, I think momentum is huge in a playoff run. Um, and I don't think the Timbers are going to have the same momentum going into this game after this sort of break, uh, this layoff. And Je- that's what Jeff Adanella told us today, essentially, is that, yeah, you can't carry that same momentum after this sort of layoff. I also think that momentum only takes a team so far. And if the Timbers had had to go and get up and play again after three games in nine days with their starting lineup playing, I just don't think they would have been able to do it. Yeah. Um, so I, I, think I think they, they would have probably it. ended up choking on something like a dog toy. <laughs> yeah, pork chop is really noisy. We don't even know if it's picking it up because the mics are pretty good. We'll see. We might just be talking with no That's noise so in the background. Um, there have been a lot of times everybody who's listening, who've, we've been recording at the training center and the room out there is right next to the player's weight room and they'll have the music up so loud that we're sure that that music is coming through and then we listen back and the mics yeah. haven't picked up a thing. <laughs> but pork chop is very noisy whether you can hear it or not. It seems louder than the <laughs> music it's a better soundtrack too this is my favorite song (laughs) this is definitely my favorite song yeah i guess i haven't thought about it from the same point of view as you and this is probably why you're a better person to pursue this and many other things in general is that i kind of just looked at it as like "Eh, this is just how it is does it even matter and it probably does matter i mean sometimes a dog tries to cough up a hairball and you have to pay attention to it sometimes the hairball was never there to begin with and in this sense the opportunity for no momentum was just never there so i didn't really pay attention to it but i also think like in my soul that i don't want playoffs to be decided by momentum i want to then to be decided on even playing fields I really believe come Sunday in Portland, these teams will have had enough time to have an even even playing field. I don't think there are going to be any advantages that one team has over another. Even if, say, Jorge Villafaña and Andy Polo can't start on Sunday just for fitness reasons, I don't think that's the type of thing which over 180 minutes people can really point to and say that's the difference. So that's one of the good things about this break and the playoff format is that I think this is at least 
to the extent that the circumstances allow it, an even matchup in terms of the team's preparations. Right. So I, let's talk not about the Timbers for just a few moments. Okay. Um, whichever team advances all out of this oh, Western I thought, Sorry, conference. I thought we were going to talk about food. <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to talk about food at okay. the moment. Okay. Uh, but whoever advances, obviously, out of the Western Conference Championship Series is going to be going on the road for MLS Cup. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're either going to be going to Atlanta or New York. Where do you think New that Jersey. team? Yes, not New York. Yeah, Sorry. not New York. Absolutely not New York. Yeah, unfortunately, Harrison, not New, New York. Jersey. Yeah. Where do you think the winner of the series will be headed? I think they'll be headed to New Jersey, but just like in the West, neither neither of these uh, teams will surprise me if they come through. I mean, I watched the last time Atlanta and New York played. I thought it was a very convincing performance. I was convinced by the fact that Chris Armis had only been on the job in place of Jesse Marsh for a little while, and New York looked just as dangerous as they always do or just as organized you never watch the Red Bulls and think oh my gosh this team is dangerous you think that this team can execute this team has a way of playing that is able to make things difficult and they always seem to do that I mean the Timbers know that as well as anybody after the second week of the season this year I also just think that the Red Bulls are a team that at their core have been so close to this for a while that I think their motivation might be there where Atlanta's isn't. I mean, Atlanta is a team that is basically made up of imported players. There are, of course, some exceptions. Darlington Nagby may be the most prominent of that. Jeff Laurentowitz, Michael Parkers, uh, Brad Guzan. But the people that they rely on most, Joseph Martinez, Miguel Almiron, are these the players that really... Are, are they really up for MLS Cup the same way that other players who have had MLS in their vision their whole life are up for it? And I don't know. But I think that I think the Red Bulls are up for it. Yeah, I don't know if I would give that exact reasoning, but I, I think that the Red Bulls have the experience of being in this situation and you know having it having it elude them and really wanting this and being at a point where they won the Shield and I, I think that this is just the year for them to to make this run. And so I, I think Atlanta's still only in their second year. They're a really good team, but I, I think that experience of, of being in this playoff, this pressure situation, um, multiple years and um, not having reached, uh, not having been able to get that MLS Cup, I, I also think that it is going to be uh, New Jersey, even if they want to call themselves New York. I, I just, I also think that I was more impressed by the way that the Red Bulls handled their second leg against Columbus than I was. Atlanta versus New York City, and it actually doesn't have anything to do with the way Atlanta played, but much the same way that RSL came into the postseason, I was like, I don't know how good this team is. I felt the same way about New York City. Ever since they lost Patrick Vieira in the middle of the year, who went to coach in France, I don't think they were good. And Atlanta did a good job to control, to win in New York, control that whole series, but I just don't know that beating a New York City FC right now means anything more than beating a Real Salt Lake. So I just don't know what to think of Atlanta, I guess. Let's go to some listener questions. Ron came at us with, came at us sounds aggressive. Ron, I didn't mean to th- say you were aggressive. I just didn't have another way to transition into your question, which was thoughts on the status and outlook for the, quote, newcomers, unquote, this year. In particular, Andy Polo, Julio Cascante, Christian Paredes, Eric Williamson, Foster Langsdorf. So the status, I assume he's implying, like, what's their future with the team? Yeah. I think... I think we're likely to see at least four of those five players come back next year. Um, I, I, I'm not sure the exact Ooh. 
That wasn't five. Okay, now I'm interested. <laughs> I'm not sure the exact status of uh, some of these loan deals, but I, I think in the case of Paredes, it, it's a two-year deal. I, I think in the case of Polo, there were certain metrics in which it would hit a purchase option. Um, I'd have to look back at what Cascantes was, and obviously Langsdorf is a homegrown player. He's going to be here for for a little while, one way or another. They're they're going to see if they can develop him. Uh, Eric Williamson's also a homegrown player. Yes, just I'll not get a, I'll get yeah. there. <laughs> oh boy! No, no, get to Eric now. I hear you. Uh, Feels like you have thoughts on Eric. Well. I think that these are young players that the Timbers, for the most part, are going to see how they're going to develop. And I expect them to come back depending on what role they will play. But they've, outside of Langsdorf, have played a role for the first team this year and can potentially develop into uh, more significant contributors over time. I'm not so sure about Williamson. I, I think he showed a lot of talent, uh, but, en- but ends up getting sent on loan. And I, I, I haven't heard anything about him even getting playing time so far on this loan deal. I think that the Timbers might consider bringing him back. I I don't think they've given up on him at this point, but I think he's much more of a question mark for me um, on on what sort of role he's going to play. I I think there was sort of high hopes for him potentially going on loan and and seizing that opportunity, and and I'm just not sure that's panned out at this point. I think all five of these players... If you talked about them in February, late January, as the group was assembling for the season, I think all of these players had various degrees to which they were expected to contribute this year, some greatly, some not at all. But all of them were looked at as part, looked at as part of the team going forward. Players that were projected to be here for three-plus years. Yeah. I don't think that's changed for any of these players. Now, the degree to which I think they will be counted on for the 2019 season, maybe that's changed. Maybe uh, Eric Williamson's arc has changed. Maybe Christian Peretti's arc has changed. In fact, all these guys' arcs has probably changed. But when you look at all five of these players and just say in a vacuum, do do these guys project as decent bets going forward? Do they does, do they make sense to have a spot on the thirty man MLS roster next year? I think the answer to all of those things are yes. Uh, but maybe there are dynamics behind the scenes that we don't know about that'll play out over the next two months. Now. Uh, accompanying a complimenting question to the one Rana asked from me <laughs> is from uh, JBG. I don't know who that is. Mm. Uh, what players do you see leaving the Timbers in the off season? Oh my gosh, this is such a sad question. Well, I think isn't this isn't this Chris's tweet? <laughs> well, basically, oh I, but it is a, it is. Essentially, I mean, I, I feel like especially it's the in holiday MLS season, <laughs> it's a very sad holiday season when it comes to transfers and stuff. I mean, look back at twenty fifteen. We're about to have turkey. <laughs> look back at twenty fifteen. It happened so quickly. It, the Timbers won MLS Cup, and Jorge Villafania was announced that he was leaving. I, I, You're I believe, bringing up more bad things. I believe, I, I'm pretty sure that that came out while the Timbers were about to start their parade route. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was like within 24 hours that the the. But like I'm pretty sure it broke. Like I was I was standing on the street on Broadway, like on my phone, publishing this yeah. information because it just broke. So it's going to come really quick. Uh, and and so I, I I agree with Chris Reifer who talked about this on Twitter. Let's have a short, uh, not we'll have a longer discussion on this. But are there a few players now at this point that you think going into the season, going into the potential off season? that you don't see coming back next year. Yeah, absolutely. I think they're... Boy, when you go player by player during this in, on this roster, a lot of it is influenced by the fact when you think about the 
the number of players that Portland was able to bring in this offseason, you think about how excited they were for not only the Paredeses and the Polos of the world, but able to get somebody like an Eric Williamson or having to put a player like Marvin Loria with a T2 contract because what else are you going to do? The roster is full. And when you really look at those players that come in, they represent your opportunity cost. And so when you go player by player through this roster and try to decide okay, should we bring that player back and occupy another spot on the 30 for next year? You also have to ask yourself, but could we go out and get another Marvin Luria? Is there going to be another Eric Williamson out there to get? Is there going to be the opportunity to get another Andy Polo? And uh, quite frankly, when you look at some of the players on the 30-man roster right now, it's a very difficult choice. Now, some other choices are pretty easy because some players were brought in with more limited expectations but even the ones that you would say boy this person they look like they're going to be able to contribute going forward you then have to think to yourself but what other options are there going to be out there for the timbers in the winter market so you're gonna gonna say some names no i'm not gonna say some (laughs) names this is where uh jamie goldberg gets to step in and go you know with that logic here are the names well, that's no fun. Um, I, I mean, I think I've said it. I don't see uh, Sammy Armenteros coming back. I, I think that's probably the number one. Uh, if you're looking at sort of given how much money a player makes, I think that's one major spot where you're going to see uh, the Timbers um, move in a different direction. I, I think there's some players sort of further down the roster that, that I would be surprised to see come back. Jack Barnby. Uh, Jake Gleason, I, I don't really see where they fit with this first team anymore. I mean, if Barnby wanted to stay with T2 or something like that, but otherwise I, it seems like those are that's a player that's taking up a spot and um, would potentially bring Steve Clark back or even um, making a different decision, bringing Kendall McIntosh up to the first team instead. I, I don't see where Jake Gleason fits in this team anymore long term. Um, I, I think there's a lot of other just sort of question marks uh, on the roster right now. I mean, is Alvis Powell um, going to come back uh, to this team? Do they see him being the long-term starting right back anymore? Or is it time to move on from him? Is a depth piece like Lawrence Olam uh, still someone they want to have on the roster? I think Espria and Milano are, are interesting questions, um, though it, it, it seems like the Timbers have been overall happy with Milano and as – I think we'll get into a yeah, little Milano's bit more a in a, in a he's second. Such, yeah, I mean, like, all this stuff that you hear about, like, oh, uh, when he was coming back, he was such a good guy to have around. People like him. It's Yeah, that's so true. And yeah. then once you start seeing it up close, it becomes tough. I think that might have to do with what sort of uh, deal they can work out mm-hmm. um, to make it feasible. I would still be also surprised to see Ridgewell come back at this point. Uh, he did say there, his contract was through next year. That might be that there's an option on his contract or something like that. Um but I, at this point, with the number of games he's missed, uh, I'm just not sure. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's one of those situations where it's always going to be tough. Again, that's another situation where the opportunity cost ends up being a thing. But in general, I think that's where I'm glad that you listed all those names because if I were to respond to that, the first name out of my mouth would be like, oh, the organization's definitely thinking about letting that guy go. That's why Richard said that first. But as you list off names, yeah, I'm absolutely fine commenting all those. And obviously with Ridgewell, there's probably a decision to be made mostly because he already has admitted that he's going to have to sit down and talk in the offseason. And somebody like Lawrence Alum very valuable part this year but you just look at in terms of his age position of depth on the team what he makes any mls team would have to evaluate that situation and then we've talked about armenteros in detail 
on this uh, show before. If he is slated to take up a designated player spot, it sure makes a lot of difference than if somehow there can be a renegotiation that gets him here at a lower number. All of a sudden, that dice roll becomes a lot more viable. But yeah, I mean, all of those players... You know, from the outside, or I guess I'm phrasing it like that because I don't know what Gavin Wilkinson's thoughts are on this. But from the outside, I think all of those make sense to at least go through a question with yourself and wonder what Gavin Wilkinson and Giovanni Savarese are going to decide. Well, just sort of touching on the subject, let's uh, hit a question from Michael. He says, will his performance against Seattle be enough for Spria to return next year? Um, Or can postseason production eclipse regular season drought? I love the way that he stated that differently because that really is what it is, right? What is the real Diana Spria, right? Um, and quite frankly, Giovanni Savarese has always surprised us this year with how he's used Diana Spria between positioning to the amount that he's used uh, Diana Spria. So I think it would be foolish for any of us to think that we have a good idea of what Giovanni Savarese sees in Diana Spria. Me personally, I mean, it all comes down to what you can get to be better than Diron. If I were betting on it, I would bet that his regular season performance improves the more that he keeps playing, but he's not going to be the player that we see in the postseason. That's an all-star caliber player, and I think we can be fairly sure that Dyron Espria at this point is not going to develop into an MLS all-star. Yeah, I think this is going to be still a major question for them. I don't think one game, even if it, you know, we've seen he historically does well in the postseason, I don't think a big postseason performance is enough to change uh, the Timbers' minds if they're already talking about letting him go. I think he makes about like 180000 or something like that, according to the MLS Players Union. Some forwards make more, but it's it's not an insignificant amount uh, of money. If the Timbers can get something better, I think that's ultimately the direction they'd want to go. All right, Jamie, we have already talked for almost 50 minutes on this podcast, which is kind of miraculous given that we didn't have a game to talk about, or at least a result to talk about. Why don't we transition into the Chris Reifer Memorial Hot Take interlude. Two weeks in a row, we will actually be pronouncing his name correctly. Jamie, why don't you go first? So I'm just going to add a little bit on to what we were already talking about earlier because we kind of already touched on this, but my hot take was going to be about how the national teams should be working more closely with the Major League Soccer teams to make sure they're not overextending uh, players such as Jorge Villafania. I'm going to take this to this level. I think the U.S. national team should be releasing players that are in MLS Cup playoffs before the second game against Italy. There's no reason for those players to still be with the national team for a meaningless friendly. They were there. They were in camp. They were there for the first game. Why keep them along for this? There should be more consideration for the playoffs that are going on. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to keep my hot take a little bit short again because I'm going to be talking about food again. And I wasn't going to talk about this until John Griffin tweeted today um, at me and the Soccer Maiden PDX account because I kind of trolled everybody again about food on Twitter. And I used the meme that has been going around Twitter for the last weeks. And I said, drives out to Breverton, brain, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it us this place really has better food options too right so this is me continuing to say every place around portland has better food options than actual portland and john responded said your trolling is misplaced and insane 
which I actually would agree with if he didn't actually have to tweet that because it is actually kind of hitting at the people that I want to. Like even right now, I see your face tensing up. You're like, I don't want to have to talk about this again with Richard because I totally disagree with everything he says about Portland food. And you know what, everybody? I actually do agree with y'all. I just like, really like people getting upset about Portland food because it usually comes down to just a few qualities that you know that this person is very likely to get upset about things. One, they're probably not from Portland. They have moved here. They love Portland so much. They think all of these cool things about Portland are so precious. These food carts, oh my gosh, this is so precious. Oh, this food scene that we have here, oh my gosh, this is so precious. You don't agree with me? You're very wrong, and I'm going to get at you at this. And even when I kind of know you're kidding on Twitter, I'm going to respond to you about it. And secondly, it is usually about something like food, where, look, people have different tastes in food. In fact, it's really hard to say somebody is right or wrong about food because you don't know what their taste buds are telling them. So my hot take here is that I should probably shut up and also that people should just stop taking food so seriously. Just let people have their food opinions because you know what? There's no way somebody can be right or wrong about food. (laughs) Well, I disagree with that, but I will say there, uh, I I was hoping you were just talking about, you know, going to Beaverton so you could have, uh, um, the food from Timber chef, uh, Rich Meyer, because then that would be a perfectly good take for me. I have never really had Rich's food yet, mostly because I'm kind of... a trifecta back in the day? No, no. That was when I was pure freelance, and I definitely couldn't cross that line uh, <laughs> They a good happy hour. Really? Yeah, that's the only time I've been, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, well, I mean, I think the other thing that we're discovering here, and I think I admitted this on one of the podcasts, is that I actually don't care that much about food, partly because I'm just like, hey, everybody can have their own opinions. I don't care about it. But I do admit... And I, uh, I think I should avoid this when I'm talking on the show that I do get a rise out of needling people a little bit about like, oh, which parts of Portland do you think are so great? Ooh, which Southeast neighborhood is so special to you? Oh, isn't that amazing? What kind of food do you like? Um, because almost always, um, culturally and demographically, these people come from a small slice of life that thinks these things are so amazing. And then also they tend to be people that are not from Portland that are really, really happy with the fact that <laughs> they've come to Portland. Okay. On that note, let's uh, quickly touch on thorns and then we're going to get to the predictions. Um, I think the only thing really is sort of an update on the international break and um, the thorns that have been participating in that. Um, so kind of been a participating. (laughs) So Tobin Heath had to pull out of the team for personal reasons. Lindsay Horan had to leave camp early for personal reasons. Emily Sonic got some time, but not as much time as we were expecting as, uh, North Carolina's Emily Fox played some right back. And then the perpetual hope that Adriana French will get the recognition for the (laughs) national team that she deserves didn't happen. She didn't start. She didn't play at all. And I got to admit, this is the point at which I just give up. I mean, I was kind of holding out hope that, like, you know, come January, there's going to be a decision to be made as to who gets that second goalkeeper contract with U.S. Soccer. And, you know, all of that logic still holds true, but the analysis changes for me at this point. I'm just, ugh, I don't think it's going to happen, and I just, I can't keep thinking about something that doesn't make sense to me. So I trust that Jill Ellis and her staff are making an honest evaluation based on more information than I have, although I do have a lot of information about AD French. Uh, but... At this point, it just doesn't seem like there's anything worth talking about anymore, unfortunately. Well, that's that who's was, being the sad one yeah, now. That was that was quite depressing. Um, I, I think that we'll have more thorns 
talk to have in the coming oh, weeks. The other thing we should mention is that Thorns fans should be happy, sad about this. Switzerland failed to qualify for next summer's World Cup, eliminated in the last round of Europe's playoffs by defending European champion the Netherlands. Uh, wasn't particularly close. And as a result, uh, it looks like Anna Maria Cernogorsevich is in line to not only come back, but to uh, play a part during next summer's World Cup. So if she is back, that'll be a, a plus for the Thorns, or though a minus for the World Cup and the world in general. Well, yeah, and I, and I do think that that makes it a lot easier of a decision for the Thorns on whether it makes sense to bring someone like her back, because that's the kind of veteran you might want uh, that's going to yeah. be with the team the full year. But I mean, we'll see. Yeah, maybe. Um, you know, with the lack of Thorns news right now, as the NWCL is in a down period, it's just always hard to speculate as to what roster moves would be available. We kind of know the rosters are going to be expanding, although that's not official yet. So I guess once we know the true lay of the land, when you're constructing next year's rosters, we'll be able to make a better assessment as to what the potential regarding that um, that missed opportunity for Anna is. Uh, speaking of missed opportunities, I need a ton of points to catch up to you. We have uh, Lord Byron on Twitter who keeps track of our very scientific, very <laughs> rigid point scoring system here for our predictions. And I'm down by like something like 247 <laughs> points. So I am not going to be swinging for my ankles and swinging for the fences. I am going to be trying to launch a rocket off of this prediction planet and go into orbit to try to catch up to you, Jamie, who is far ahead. So why don't you give us predictions for Sunday's game. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I'm going to go really far on a limb. Exact. Just like you. Uh, just kidding. Um, <laughs> I'm going to predict the scoreline that has been the scoreline in every single least regulation game that the Timbers have played so far. Right. Um, oh, in the is, playoffs. In playoff games. Yes. Yeah. In playoff games. Not, not in the entire season. Yeah, forever. <laughs> uh, and I'm going to predict that the Timbers are going to open the Western Conference Championship Series against Kansas City at home with a 2-1 win. <laughs> Wow, I'm I'm like, I mean, technically, like the two one went the other way look, in the last series, but yeah, it just the two ones have been the score line. <laughs> Jamie, I hate to bring this up, but I'm going to do it for the pod value. You got your prediction right last game, which <laughs> congratulations. But then you went onto Twitter and demanded infinity points for getting your prediction right. Are you going to do the same this time? No, this is not. You're still a... <laughs> predicting one game's results, by the way. Yeah, but that was that was way more. Uh, that was a bunch of. Big, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen if it's a crazy two-one win. Maybe I'll start. Did you just want to yell infinity points? Because I mean, sometimes I just want to yell infinity points. No, no, no. I I roll up the sock. I throw it into the waste. I throw it into the laundry basket. Infinity points. Neighbor knocks on the wall. Says, "Shut up." You say that so often. This is ridiculous. No. No, I, I still am pretty bitter about the amount of points you gave me. So, Porkchop, in his own way, has been yelling for infinity points this whole podcast. He has, which people may or may not have heard. We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I should have given him infinity points at some point. Well, he, he always gets infinity points. Well, he almost broke the dining room table. How many points would that have been worth? <laughs> negative infinity points? <laughs> Something like that. Although somebody, the moment they hear this, is going to point out negative infinity points and infinity points... They're the same thing. Okay, so my prediction. Uh, again, I have to swing for the fences on this one. So one, I'm picking a player that we don't know is going to play. So even if he plays, that gets me far down the road. I'm saying Zarek Valentin as the subject of my pick. Scores a goal, which he's only done once in his Timbers career so far. And has an assist. <laughs> 
How many points would that be worth, Jamie? Tell me right now if that I happens. I don't know. I, I, it's I, so far beyond my see. imagination. Yeah, no, I have to. I have to see how I'm feeling after that. I mean, it depends if I'm feeling bitter about the amount of points I got last week. Or Guess what? I'm tweeting if it happens. <laughs> <laughs> Double infinity points. Double infinity, which is Google infinity. Google infinity. <laughs> okay well i think we've had enough fun yeah, on this that's, one, <laughs> yeah i think that's all for today we will come back next week and we'll have a little bit more uh, to talk about in terms of game specific I have, I have more food takes <laughs> hopefully no more food takes um but that's all for today uh we are soccer made in portland you can find us every week on timbers.com oregon live and stumptown footy you can also subscribe on itunes and stitcher and until next week take care <laughs>